This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast, with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans. Go Magic. What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. It is July 19th, 2021. My co-host, Luke Sylvia, on a Disney vacation this week. So I am joined by the one and only, the Six Man Show, producer, content contributor, Kevin Tucker. Kevin, what's going on, man? Thanks for filling in. Dude, not a problem. Happy to be here. Slightly jealous of Luke. I wish I was yes. kicking it at Disney right now, but that's okay. Hanging with you is uh, comes in second place. Well, I just want to say, I do have Disney passes. I live kind of close to Orlando. Been a while since I've seen Luke in person. I didn't get the memo. You know, I knew he was coming to Florida. Ouch. I, I didn't get the, uh, the the memo. It was going to be a Disney thing. Ouch. Boy, I was, didn't get I was the busy invite. this weekend, so I wouldn't have been able to make it anyways. But the invitation is always the nice thing. Am I right? Yeah. It's the thought that counts, right. and there definitely was no thought there. So that hurts yeah, a little, doesn't you know, it? It does a little bit. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> you're like, eh, I mean, I, I would have liked to have gone, but I wouldn't have been able to. But sometimes it's like, you know, I didn't want to go to that thing anyways. But I would have right. liked to have been invited and then rejected right. you anyways. But anyway, <laughs> we hope right. Luke is having a good time. We hope that he gets back safe. But yeah, so Kevin here is rocking with me. Uh, we do have a very, very special episode for you guys today. A little bit later, we're going to get to our interview with Kevin Clark that we recorded earlier in the week. Actually, Luke and myself before he headed to Orlando. So make sure you guys stay listening all the way throughout the episode for that. That was a lot of fun. We got to talk to Kevin Clark from the ringer he covers the nfl for the ringer if you guys aren't aware uh, but we got to talk about the jamal mosley hire we talked about the young guys and, and the future and the draft and everything like that so that was a lot of fun really appreciate kevin clark taking the time to do that a couple of housekeeping things before kevin and i get into some news and, and things like that so a lot of you already know but the orlando magic are hosting a draft party the night of the draft at amway center july 29th that's starting at seven o'clock a little bit before that, from 5.45, or excuse me, from 5 o'clock to 6.45, myself, Kevin, and a bunch of other Magic fans, we are going to be at Harry Buffalo, downtown Orlando, again, from 5 o'clock to 6.45, just hanging out, having a good time, having a couple of cold ones, eating some good food, things like that. So come hang out with us. Then at 6.45, we'll walk over to Amway. We're all going to sit together, section 106. So make sure you guys remember that. If you're not able to make it to Harry Buffalo, then sit with us, section 106. We're going to be recording, getting some content stuff for the, the podcast and the YouTube channel. So make sure that you guys come out from the, for that. Outside of that, uh, the team is growing since Kevin's come on You know, a couple of months back. Uh, things have been going pretty well. Uh, we've started some new things. We've been doing kind of the meetup things. We want to keep that going. We're looking to expand our content a little bit. So we're looking for an event-slash-meetup coordinator. Uh, where you'll help us put together, you know, fan experience type of things, get people together to, you know, watch Magic games and things like the draft party and things like that that we're doing. Uh, one of the requ- you know, prerequisites or requirements for that is you must be located either in or extremely close to Orlando. Um, obviously, most Magic fans are in Orlando, Kevin, so we want to try to keep that going, keep the meetups that we've been doing. It's been a lot of fun. People have been enjoying that. So, And then we're also looking for a writer. So, Uh, We are going to be applying for NBA credentials this season, Kevin, with the Orlando Magic. Fingers Fingers crossed crossed. on that. Absolutely. (laughs) So we're going to be looking for somebody to to write and cover the team and potentially cover the team really closely, you know, attend games and everything like that. So um, 
we might be looking for more than one writer. I can't say too much on that right now, um, but it would be a major benefit if you were in or near Orlando for that position as well. So if you guys are interested in, again, either being an event meetup coordinator for the six-man show or, or writing, covering the team for the six-man show, shoot us an email in your resume to info at the sixmanshow.com. Uh, we're going to be you know, kind of taking in more candidates over the course of the next week. And then we'll set up interviews and all that good stuff. Anyways, Kevin, we've bored the people long enough. <laughs> the NBA Finals are getting incredibly interesting. So you, myself, Luke, Ooh. we talked last week about pre-finals predictions, and then maybe we were changing our mind on some things. I told you and Luke that you kind of scared me off of my pick. But now the Bucks they're up 3-2 to two in the series, Kevin. How, first Man. of all, what did you think of the game last night? And... Have you changed your mind at all? Yeah, well, first off, before I talk about last night, let's back up a little bit. A week ago, this time, you know, we're recording this really late Sunday night. We recorded last week, really late Sunday night. And at the time, uh, I think the Suns were up 2-0 and had a lead in the yes. first half of Game 3. And so at the time, my Suns in 5 prediction was looking really strong. And then it all literally went downhill from, from then on out. Literally, literally obviously... Uh, the Bucks coming back and winning that game and now winning three in a row to go up 3-2 and with a chance to win it in Milwaukee on Tuesday. Are you kidding me? But as far as last night, man, unbelievable. What a what a finish down the stretch. The Suns, once again, having a big lead early on. And these Bucks, man, I don't know. They keep they keep showing away, keep finding a way. And it's sometimes through Giannis. Drew Holiday kind of kept him in the game in the first half. Like, he was really strong. And then Chris Middleton, what the heck, man? I didn't know he – you know he's a good player, but you're like – you know, playoffs, you know, whatever. But he is he's showing up in big moments for them. So this just came to mind. This is not premeditated or anything like that, but I am a big, big New York Giants fan. Magic are number one, obviously, but a ways behind them, really head and shoulder. It's like the Magic grew up here, the Giants are here, and then everyone else is like just kind of towards the bottom. Mm. Chris Middleton is doing his best Eli Manning impersonation right now. Okay, break that down for me, solid, please. Solid, solid regular season player, right? You know, Eli made a couple of Pro Bowls. Chris Middleton has been an All Star, but in these playoffs, and like mm. Eli Manning would do in the playoffs, Chris Middleton is become like he's been an elite player in the playoffs. I said it in the first round, and this is going to be a freezing cold take. I'll make sure to retweet it if the Bucks win the title. But I tweeted May twenty second. He said the Bucks cannot win a title with Chris Middleton as their second best player and without a legitimate closer. Chris Middleton has been a legitimate like Robin to Giannis's Batman, and he keeps closing over and over and over again for the Suns. He did it against the Nets. He did it against the Hawks. Now he's doing it against the Suns. So I'm really eating my words. But last night, man, what were the 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 Suns were up a, a couple of points. Drew Holiday steals the ball from Devin Booker going down the court. You see Giannis running the wing, and you're like, there's no way he's about to throw the lob with, like, seconds left in this game. Sure enough, throws it. Giannis catches it like, oh, I'm talking to Carmen, my wife, today. If you watch that play in slow motion and Giannis dunking the ball and hanging onto the rim as his momentum is carrying him back, had the rim disconnected from the backboard in that moment, Giannis is going like five rows into <laughs> yeah, the stands. You're right. Just all that momentum. Yeah. That was honestly it, incredible. Man, I tell you, the I don't remember which game it was, if it was game three or four when he had the block on Aiden, 
and you thought, oh, man, if the Bucks win, that's the moment. That was like an amazing moment, and it was. But then last night happened with the alley-oop in the last minute of the game, you know, with contact and everything. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that yeah, that was if they hold on to this 3-2 lead. That's the moment right there. That's the one. It's like, this is it. That's crazy. The crazy thing for me is like the minute before that, Giannis missed both free throws. Yeah. So for him to get that moment and just staring down the camera and flexing, like I'm getting goosebumps (sighs) thinking about it. But that was just an awesome moment. And then today people are talking about, you know, he's in midair. And obviously, you know, you're Chris Paul. You're a much smaller guy. You're trying to do anything you can to put Giannis in the line in that moment. But that is such a dangerous play. Put both hands on a guy and shove him while he's yep. midair. That really could and have went. F- he wasn't just in the air. He was going fat, like you said. Yeah. He was flying. You know what I mean? That could have been bad. Could have been very bad. Thankfully, it wasn't. But people are talking about you know Chris Paul's history as a dirty player, which is fair. However, in that moment, like at those stakes, Chris Paul is doing anything that he can to try to foul and put Giannis on the line there. But what a play by Holiday! What a pass! What a catch! What a finish from Giannis! Chris Middleton playing out of his mind. I mean, I I was excited at the beginning of these finals because it was you know it wasn't the L.A. and Miami and that kind of stuff, but we have really got a really really good series. Sometimes you get these teams that not all the big markets care about, and then the series ends up being a dud, and you're like, okay, well this is why we want big markets. But I'm just glad that they're really justifying the hype around the, the NBA final. So what what do you think is going to happen? Man, it's hard cuz uh I I still I still like the Suns, but it's hard to argue over 3 in a row and especially like that game last night almost felt like a backbreaker. You know, it's never over, but man, they were the Suns were at home and by the way, really quick just kudos to both uh, fran- their fan bases like last night in Phoenix that place was crazy and the games in Milwaukee and I know dude game six in Milwaukee is going to be nuts so kudos to them but anyway the Suns being at home they had the lead early and they had you know le- a lead late and chances late you just felt like that kind of, that may have broken their their back we'll see how they come out in game six but game six is going to be fun for sure now I, I want to go back to my you know freezing cold Middleton take because I, if they win, of course, I'm going to try to make excuses so I don't look like a complete <laughs> idiot, but I just feel like this is such a strange year with what happened with the Nets, with you know Kyrie not being healthy and James Harden not being healthy. Every year has its caveats with injuries, but this year I think we all can agree that the whole season was so injury-riddled across the entire league. I'm not trying to take anything away from either of these teams. Whoever wins the championship is a champion. They completely deserve it. That's right. I just feel like it's such a weird year that if you're Milwaukee or you're Phoenix, if you don't win this year, you're just going to be like, man, that was our chance, and we blew it. Like I would be incredibly surprised if either of these teams are at this point next season. Do you feel the same way? 100% agree, 100% agree, and and especially I hate to keep bringing up the Suns, but like Chris Paul. He's only got he so the, many. If he gets to the end of this series and doesn't have a ring – Dude, what is that going to do to him? You know, like you said, he's only got so many years left. You know, I I I don't mind Chris Paul. I'm not a huge fan, but I I'd like for him to get a ring. Uh, but yeah, if if he doesn't get this opportunity, man, you don't know if he's going to get back. You know, obviously this is obviously his first time in the finals. It took him this long, you know, however however many years he's been in the league. But man, that would that would hurt him for sure. I think I think it's over in six. I think Milwaukee yeah, closes it, it feels out that way in six. It does. I it just, feels that way. 
when when you start talking about like the greatest players of all time and all the great players that we've been lucky enough to have in this league, like Giannis is is the next guy, and I just don't think. I mean, the guy's leg, like what was it three weeks ago, bent the complete opposite <laughs> way than it's supposed yep. to bend, and he was going to be out for the rest of the playoffs and maybe even the next season. And for him right. to be playing the way that he's playing in these finals is just absolutely incredible. And I just, I, it's hard for me to picture anything getting in his way. I sure. think we're going to have like a incredible Giannis performance. If Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can play anywhere near the level that they've been the last few games, I just think it's over and, yeah. and the Bucks are going to take it. But we'll see. The great thing about this series is I really won't be upset whoever wins it. Like, I love Devin Same. Booker. Chris Paul definitely deserves it, but you know if if it's the Bucks, I'll, I'll be pretty happy about that. And then a little bit more NBA news here, Kevin. So it was announced this week that in all likelihood the play-in tournament is going to be brought back next season. Quickly, I just wanted to ask, how do you feel about that, and what are your thoughts on the play-in tournament? Are you happy? Are you upset? Yeah, I uh, mixed, and here's why: the the original play-in tournament we talked about last season in the bubble. There was a criteria that had to be met for the play-in tournament to kick in, right? They had to be within so many games of whatever seed you know was above them for that play-in tournament to to kick in. This season, though, on the other hand, there wasn't that. It was just point blank, no matter what, it's going to be seeds. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten are going to go in this play-in tournament. And you know, if that's a close race, I like the play-in tournament. If if teams are a couple of games apart, but this year I don't remember what it what it was, but it was San Antonio in the West who was tenth. And then they went into this play-in tournament, and they were something like eight games, nine games back, something like that. It, it, crazy. I mean, that's that's too many when you think about the course of a whole season, you know, for, for the, that gap to be that big, and they still have an equal chance at getting in the playoffs. That seems a little far-fetched. So I like it if the races are close. I don't like it, you know, just to, just to say for whatever, we're going to do 7 through 10. I am exactly right there with you. I love the idea, but there needs to be a criteria. It's not fair to the 7th or the 8th seed to be – seven, eight games up on some of these other seeds and then have to essentially play to make it into the playoffs at that point. To me, I'm going to go out and say it should be five games. Five games is is close enough, like three, four games, like you're still right there. That's a couple of weeks in the NBA. But if you're five games out, like a lot of times that takes weeks to like catch that up in the regular season. So I am excited that they're going to continue to do it. However, I feel like Let's say you know the the first seven seeds are all super close, and then there's a significant gap, and there's eight, and then there's nine and ten. Seven should not be you know basically punished for being you know like you said nine or ten games up on like the tenth seed. I just think that's ridiculous. There is a way to do this so everybody kind of gets what they want, but at the same time, I think it's it'd be like you know the one seed playing the like the sixteenth seed to see or the fifteenth seed to see who's going to go, you know, into the first round or something. It just right. it doesn't make a ton of sense in that regard. I get the league is trying to draw up interest and keep things exciting, but still some some kinks to be worked out and who knows, they might actually implement that next season, but I think it does need to be tweaked a little bit. So, Kevin, since we last recorded and everything like that, the Jamal Mosley hiring is now official. We've had, you know, press conferences, we've had uh, an Orlando Magic Pod squad. He was on the Woj Pod. All that great stuff. So, what were your initial thoughts? Now that we've really seen Jamal Mosley, heard from him, 
heard what his philosophies are and kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're learning about coach Mosley now. Yeah, for sure. And, and you hit it on the head learning, you know, he's, he's a guy uh, that doesn't have a ton of history in the spotlight, right? So there's not a lot of things you can look back and find on the internet. So we're kind of learning more about him as he speaks. And so uh, in my mind, those were, those were couple different areas, couple different ways he represented himself, right? In, in the press conference, I thought he was one way. And in the interviews, he was, he was a little different. And so what I mean by that is the press conference, uh, I almost felt like he was a little nervous, which I would be too. You know, this is his dream job. It's what he's worked for his whole life, you know, 14 years as an assistant waiting for this moment, the right moment for him to step up and be a head coach. So I totally get the nerves, you know, doing a press conference and everything. But I will say one thing that I really did enjoy from him in that press conference uh, was he, you know, unlike a lot of coaches, there's a lot of coaches who kind of dance around answers and they give a nice long fluffy answer for the media that gives them quotes and everything. But coach Moses was asked a question and gave the answer. You know, he didn't, he didn't feel like he had to add words or, you know, dance around a subject or whatever, you know, ask a question, gave an answer, ask a question, really straight shooter. And I kind of like that. It was kind of refreshing, something a little bit different. Uh, but then I think we saw a different side of him. Uh, when we saw him in the pod squad and, and the Woj pod, but especially the pod squad, if you watch it on YouTube, especially see him gather around with, with Dante and George Galante and then uh, Jeff Turner, of course, uh, just a more relaxed atmosphere. He was able to laugh it off and, and just chat it up with the guys. And so it was cool to see a couple different sides of him, but yeah, you definitely like what you see so far. He seems a little more laid back, a little more personable and relatable. And I, I think it's going to go a long way with, with the guys. Yeah, when he sat down with the guys in the pod squad, I don't know exactly where at Amway that was recorded. I've never seen that area in Amway, but yeah. it definitely seemed like he kind of loosened up the tie a little bit yep. when he sat down. And your point about him being very like direct and just you know saying what he meant and, and meaning what he said and nothing else, at times it was like he'd be in the middle of a sentence and just stop, and he <laughs> yeah. was completely finished. I was like... Is he going to say anything else? Okay, right. that's your complete answer. Okay, that's yep. fine. But, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I was, I definitely got the vibe that he was a little bit nervous during that press conference. And, you know, who is? And especially if he's not a guy that talks to the media a ton. And as an right. associate coach, like, you're really not. Like, I remember, um, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, was it Rich Higgins a couple of years ago, an assistant coach under Steve Clifford? Whenever he would have those, you know, interviews like at halftime, you always felt like he wasn't totally comfortable speaking in front of the camera, and that's how I felt with Mosley. Mosley's a little bit more confident, but um, again, when he got with the pod squad and was talking to those guys in more of just a casual conversation, you could really see his personality come out. And the biggest thing for me in you know each interview whether it was the press conference or you know, either of the podcast that he did was him continuing to talk about the fact that you need to really treat these guys like they're humans first and then worry about all the basketball stuff later and then he was asked you know uh, specifically on the pod squad you know what do you learn from you know coach George Carl and everything like that and he talked about you know there's an, an old and I'm paraphrasing here but there's an old school way of doing things but nowadays, players, you know, they, they require different things. You know, they want to meet you on more of a personal and relational level. And he said, you can still, you know, do those old school things, you know, while, you know, treating these guys the way that they want to be treated, essentially. And I think that's exactly what Magic fans were looking for and what the front office was looking for when they were going through this hiring process. What did everyone say about Penny Hardaway and why he would be such a great fit? Because he's going to relate to the players, he's going to you know kind of meet them at their level, uh, you know, and really keep them engaged. And I think that's exactly what we, what we've got with Mosley. He's everything that we would have been excited about at a hire in Penny Hardaway, 
but also the NBA coaching experience. So you kind of get the both of the both the uh, best of both worlds there with Coach Mosley. So I was you know super um, everything that I've seen from this guy, and then what we saw that the Magic released on Twitter just a couple of days after you know he has the yep. press conference to be announced as the head coach working out with Mo Bamba at the Amway practice facility. And when we say working out, guys, if you haven't seen that clip, like he was working out, like heavy contact, talking to him, coaching him up, encouraging him. I guarantee you Steve Clifford was never, <laughs> ever out there with Mo Bamba. That's not a knock on Clifford. He's kind of an older guy, okay? Uh, probably not the athlete that Coach Moses. Yeah. But, Kevin, when you saw that clip, what were your initial thought, your reaction to that? Man, that was really, really cool. Because like you said, it wasn't just like, okay, Mo, do this. No, it's like we're going at it. It was all in the paint, man. It was all paint work. And so he's backing him down and bodying him up and everything. So, yeah, that was that was really cool. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. You know, uh, he's not not one to say, okay, why don't you go work on that with so-and-so. He's going he's gonna to say, I'm going to do it right now. Let's do it. Let's work on it. And so, number one, that's cool. But also, number two, you know it's a really busy, hectic week for him. You know all this press stuff and media stuff, but also figuring out you know his his assistant coaching lineup, and then we've got a draft next week. So for him to take some time just to go one on one with Mo in the gym, you know I have a feeling it probably meant a lot to Mo as well. You know I think that was just really cool just for him to set aside some time for for one of the young stars of this team. I got to tell you, man, like. I texted you and Luke kind of during the press conference, and I was like, okay, he seems kind of nervous. But then when I saw the pod squad, especially when you watch the video, I think that obviously adds such a another layer to that, and you get even more of a feel for his personality and, and everything like that. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to warm up to this guy. And then when I saw that, Kevin, I fell in love with Coach Jamal Mosley. <laughs> like I saw that, and I was like, especially Mo. Mo, I think, right. needs that hands-on, and not just the hands-on, someone to, to work with him and kind of show him what he needs to be doing, but the encouragement. Like, mm. he he's telling Mo, he's like, bump me. He's like, no, bump me again. You know, he's, he's teaching him, get the guy all the way out of the paint, then you can call for the ball, make your move towards the rim. And then when Mo's doing it, he's like, yes, sir, yes, sir. Like, when you've got a guy like, like yelling, yes, like, that's just the best type of hype man there is. So seeing that for Mo. And then you just—he's going to be doing that for all of our players at some point or another. It might not be once training camp, you know, and more guys start getting in the gym. He probably won't have as much time to give kind of that one-on-one type of coaching and everything like that. But especially for Mo, this is such a critical year. Like this is make or break year for Mo Bamba. If Mo doesn't start to look like a legitimate NBA center this season, it might be all the all you wrote. Right, yeah, and like you said, not only big for Mo, but you also think about, um, you know, the kind of the ups and downs that Mo has had over his career so far, his short career. But you think about him playing for Clifford, and you know, this wasn't ever public, but I feel like we can all read between the lines that maybe Mo and Clifford maybe didn't see eye to eye or whatever, or at the very least, Mo wasn't happy with the playing time that he got for most of Clifford, right? And so we get this new guy, this new coach comes in, and for him to make a connection super quick like this, you know, in theory that he is doing. The desire, I hope, that Mo has to play for this new coach, I think, could go a long way. Not just going out there and proving it for himself and for a new contract or whatever, but playing for someone that you that you count on and you, you believe in, that could that could just go a really long way for him. I think we, like, fans just collectively in that moment were like, forget about the players. We will run through a wall for That's Coach right. Mosley at this point. Like, you see that and That's you're just right. like, 
that is my coach. All right, like let's go. You don't know too much about him. Again, we're still learning. Who knows what he's going to be like as a game manager and with the X's and O's and everything like that. <laughs> but that alone, like that, that went a long way with me. So really excited to see that. So some more coaching news. You know, Coach Mosley in his introductory press conference talked about the fact he's going to work very closely with the front office and with management to start to kind of round out his coaching staff. So we got our first bit of basically assistant coach news today from Jake Fisher with Bleacher Report. He announced that uh, assistant Portland associate head coach Nate Tibbetts, um, it looks like he is nearing uh, becoming an assistant coach under Jamal Mosley with the Orlando Magic. So Nate Tibbetts, uh, he he was an assistant in Portland for eight years. Uh, the last two as the associate head coach, which is like the, you know, the Dwight Schrute, like the the assistant to the regional manager <laughs> position, I guess, if if you want to call that Kevin Tucker. But three years as an assistant in Cleveland under Mike Brown with Jamal Mosley. So you already know that they have that relationship there. Um, obviously Nate Tibbetts was in Portland with Terry Stotts, Kevin. So a lot of people are like, okay, maybe this is a way to kind of get Terry Stotts in the door. No idea whether or not right now, Nate Tibbetts is going to be the associate head coach for the Orlando magic. But what do you think of of that hire? And what do you think of the odds of, you know, maybe bringing Terry Stotts in as well? Yeah. Hard to say much about Tibbetts. You know, one of the things we joked about, you know, right before we started recording was, there's not even a Wikipedia page for Nate Tibbetts, you know, so there's a lot of unknowns about him, you know, don't know a lot, but like you said, yeah, he was in Cleveland the same time as coach Mose. So, uh, obviously there's definitely some familiarity there. And obviously Mosley was like, you know, he really must've enjoyed his time working with Tibbetts enough to bring him to Orlando, you know, eight years later, whatever it's been. So that'll be interesting as, as to whether, you know, that connection with Stotts might, uh, might play into this here. I, I probably don't see that, you know, I'm not sure I see him coming on as an assistant, uh, but maybe, you know, I mean, I think that'd probably be great to have an established head coach coming under Mosley to be kind of that uh, right-hand man to help Mosley as his first uh, round of being a head coach. But I, I don't know if I see it. I, w- I don't see it happening either, but I would like the idea of it. I think most of us have agreed that if you're bringing in a first-time head coach, it's good to bring in somebody that has head coaching experience into the fold just to kind of show them the ropes and everything. Some people have asked me, you know, whether it be on Twitter, on Instagram, if this means that guys like Ty Corbin and Pat Delaney are on their way out. I don't know that this necessarily means that. Ty Corbin especially, if Stotts isn't coming with Tibbetts, a guy that has head coaching experience in the NBA, has good rapport with the Magic and with the organization. I would like to see really both of those guys stay on. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. It doesn't look like Steve Clifford is going to have a job in the NBA this season, which I think you really wanted the Pacers job. That didn't happen. They went with Rick Carlisle. But we'll kind of wait to see what happens with that. But I'm excited. Um, Looking back and just a quick Google search of Nate Tibbetts is he's been in the discussion to be an NBA head coach for the last few years here. So I think this really is going to be a good hire. Again, him and Jamal Mosley have the relationship going back to Cleveland. So it looks like the you know the everything's in motion for Mosley to start putting together you know his assistant head coach and his staff and everything like that. So I had you watch it right before we got on the podcast to record here. But there's a clip going around Magic Twitter. I think Adam Papa Giorgio was the first person to put it out there. Earlier this year in the playoffs, uh, <laughs> Michael Porter Jr., when the uh, Nuggets were playing the the, the Trailblazers, uh, Michael Porter Jr. like shoves Nurkic from behind, 
and Tibbetts comes flying from the other end of the court all the way down and start talking trash to Michael Porter Jr. Basically, like, you can't see his mouth. It's covered by a mask. Basically, like, yo, don't put your hands on my guy. Yep. And the whole Nuggets team is like, bro, you see Aaron Gordon, like, waving him away. So, first of all, we've got Coach Most telling LeBron to STFU. And now mm-hmm. we've got Coach Tibbetts running across the floor to yell at somebody, like, basically, get your hands off my guy. We're putting together a pretty scrappy coaching staff. What did you yeah. think of that clip, Kevin? I was about to say, man, first off, that guy does not lack energy. If that if that clip says anything, that dude was, was a lightning bolt. But secondly, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, edge, you know. Uh, Kevin Clark actually talks a little bit about that in the interview. You guys will hear in just a second. But, yeah, so far, you know, if if, if he's the assistant like uh, like Jake Fisher's reporting, that's some edge between the two of those. You know, yeah. it's it's a definitely definitely an interesting start to uh, to this coaching staff. What I'm I'm guessing you've watched uh like uh, Mosley's like international highlights with the du- the double yes. collar pop. What do you think Bum, of that? Bro. I didn't ask you. Oh, about that. I, yeah. Well, no, I I think I, I think I texted Luke. I'm just I'm just want to throw out a prediction. I guarantee you, guarantee you guys at home that at some point this season, Cole, Cole Anthony, yes, is yes, yeah, he's gonna do something in a game. And he's gonna, you know, pay, pay tribute to Coach Mose. He's gonna go boom, boom. If there's one guy on the team that's gonna do it, it's gonna be Cole. And you heard it here I first. I promise you, if that happens, Magic <laughs> Twitter is going to implode, and it's gonna be Absolutely. the best thing in the entire world. So I, I will say though, I think. At the very least, Magic fans should make it a thing oh, this season. Absolutely. Something big happens. Come on, let's do it. Great like substitution, that. coach. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Like something stupid like that. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Man. All right, uh, that's basically all I got, Kevin. You got anything else before we get yeah, into the no, other that's great. Kevin Clark here? Yeah, this interview is awesome. You guys are in for a real treat. Awesome. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll get right into the interview with Kevin Clark. All right, guys, the Olympics, Euros, baseball, major championships, and concerts are all in this summer. You know what isn't? A wild and hairy bush. Tame yourself below the belt with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Their fourth-generation performance package includes the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat yours like Olympic gold? Fellas, do right by your boys and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com with the code 6th. That's S-I-X-T-H at manscaped.com. The world is starting to open, and the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer briefs, and the Shed travel bag. Talk about a world-class dismount into a post-quarantine world. This package is the perfect package for your package and peak performance in whatever sport you desire. So guys, get 20% off in free shipping with the code 6th at manscaped.com. That's 20% off in free shipping with the code 6th, S-I-X-T-H, at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped. All right, guys, we are now joined by Kevin Clark of The Ringer, one of the most notable Magic fans out there, and some would argue one of the, the only Magic fans out there. But uh, Kevin, thank you for, <laughs> for joining that us. One. How are you? Hey. I'm doing great. I'm really, really excited to be here. Yeah, man. I mean, you could argue how many <clears throat> Magic fans are out there. I mean, your buddies at The Ringer, uh, whenever the Magic get brought up, it kind of seems like there's no one out there and you always <laughs> get brought up. 
I, I do. Um, I will say, so a couple months ago, we hired Steve Cerruti, who's a producer on Ryan Rosillo's podcast, who's also a big Magic fan. He didn't grow up in Orlando. I'm actually seeing him tomorrow, uh, first time in a while, so I'm sure we'll talk about Mosley and all that. But so now we've doubled the number of Magic fans. And I, as I joke about, by, by 2024, maybe we'll have as many Magic fans as Celtics fans. That's my goal. That would that's that's gonna be tough over there with uh, with Bill, but no, yeah, Saruti, big fan of Saruti, back to the yeah, yeah. SVP and Rosillo days, but that's awesome. But yeah, Kevin, so um, as everybody knows, you're a big Orlando Magic fan, diehard Magic fan, grew up in Orlando, really, really close to the downtown area near the arena. Yeah. You mentioned even closer to you know the Amway Center now, but yeah, we wanted to ask you, you know, obviously the 1995, the finals run and everything like that. Uh, what would you say are some of your favorite early magic moments yeah i mean so i think that anybody who grew up who's my age i mean i caught the tail end of like the pre-shack years which were like reggie theus being the biggest star in town uh, most people wouldn't even remember that um i'm in my early 30s and so i mean guys like you know Sydney Green, Greg Kite, Mark Akers. I mean, names nobody cares about because they were a terrible expansion team. <laughs> and the thing I always joke about with the Magic was like, Orlando was a really small town back then, um, really small. And the fact that it had an NBA team was kind of a joke. And the fact that then we go from a really bad team for a handful of years, then we get the biggest, one of the biggest superstars in the history of the sport, and then get another superstar. And I always joke, you know, there's a lake by, by my house where they filmed the Super Bowl commercial with, with um, Tyra Banks and Lil Penny. And I think it, I think it aired during the uh, Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowl in the 90s. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, that's normal. That's, that's cool, the, you know, that, that lake by my house in, in the Super Bowl commercial. And then I was like, wait a second, this is not normal. Like, this is incredible this is happening in my city. Like, the more distance I have, from the yeah. mid nineties magic. I just feel like it was such a special time when that 30 for 30 came out. I, I don't, I feel like I just glossed over it. Cause I was like, you know, six, seven years old. And I was like, okay, I guess every kid has this, I guess every kid has Shaq in their backyard. I guess every kid has, has, uh, you know, it's one of the most fun teams to look at uh, that, that's played in the, in the modern NBA. I mean, like, I think that I wasn't young enough, excuse me, I wasn't old enough to appreciate how special that time was. And now as kind of nostalgia kicks in uh, across the NBA, I mean, how many Twitter accounts are, are dedicated to the NBA in the 90s? Like every, every, I saw the other day, I think it was Devin Booker was talking about the warm-up jackets that, that NBA players yeah. in the 90s used to, to wear. And it's like, looking back on it, it's like, well, this was kind of cool, but it just all seemed um, like a local team uh, back in the 90s. 09 for me was my, my favorite time because... I was old enough to realize that these things don't happen very often. Yeah. And that's, that was, I was, so when the magic uh, went to the finals in 09, Kevin, I was uh, 13. So yeah. that was kind of, that was my first true experience. I had been spoiled by uh, my Florida Gators uh, winning in college <laughs> football and basketball, yeah. um, you know, the years prior to that, but I had never had a professional team. I'm not a huge NFL, um, mm -hmm. you know, fan of a team per se. Um, so for the magic to, to go to the finals in 09 was incredible for me, but I think that it, for me, it was still the whole, like, I wasn't, old enough to appreciate it yeah, yeah. I wasn't at that point that you were at at an 09 yeah. and so then if you would have told me like hey you guys are are going to be rebuilding essentially uh, yeah, yeah. In the next couple of years and it's going to take about a decade so yeah. so, so I'll, I'll, yeah yeah That's I'll tell you a story so taking a decade we're still in the middle of that <laughs> now, so my, one of my favorite magic games nobody cares about the series nobody cares about this game but in 08 <clears throat> excuse me in 08 we played the Pistons in the second round 
and um, we beat the the Raptors in the first round, and we took the Pistons. We played some competitive games against the Pistons, and there was a game, I want to say it was game four, where it was the last possession. Hito made a bunch of huge threes. We were in the hunt. We, we could have won, and <clears throat> I remember being so excited because, like, I, there was a late possession. Hito made some huge three. And I remember being so excited because I was like, wow, the last like 13 years between 95 and 08, I assumed there weren't going to be big magic games. Like there was a time at one point where we thought the magic were going to leave and go to Kansas city. Mm. If you're old enough to remember that. So the fact that there was 13 years between 95 and 08 and the fact that I had spent a lot of those times wondering whether or not there was ever going to be a huge game in Orlando again, wondering you know, at one point we thought that the magic were going to leave for Kansas city. And so the fact that you had 13 years, essentially in the wilderness, I mean, you had the T-Mac years and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that a lot now when the magic do get to relevance, when they're like, like actual relevance, not winning game one in, in the first round. I mean, like competing for an Eastern conference championship, it's going to be so much sweeter um, because I've been through that. I've been through a decade of mediocrity and, and when you come out the other side of it, it's, it's really special. And that's why I just, I can't wait for that. So the one guy who we hope is going to take the magic there is the new head coach, Jamal Mosley, uh, obviously coming from Dallas and having, you know, great things being said about him. Uh, What was your kind of uh, knee jerk reaction to Jamal Mosley? Were you incredibly familiar with him or um, much like us? we just didn't really have a clue, you know, really what it was like with, with Jamal Mosley. And now I've grown to love him here. And then, you know, last week or so. Yeah. So I have a friend who's a huge Mavericks fan, a former coworker, and he was telling me weeks ago that Mosley would be a home run hire. And, you know, I saw some of his press conference yesterday, his virtual press conference, and he was talking about how he wants to meet these guys and connect with them on a human level before getting into the basketball. And and I think that that's, that's how you win. And that's how you are a guy that people want to play for and, and you build a culture. I don't know even though we've tried to say we've had a culture for the last decade, I don't know what that is. We certainly didn't have a culture under Hennigan. We had a little bit of a culture under Clifford, but then the roster changed to the point that, you know, I don't, I don't think that the young guys were going to buy into a culture that Steve Clifford was developing when he, he had no interest in developing that with those young guys. Um, And so for, for Mosley, I think that everything he said has been correct so far. Now, let me put a huge caveat on that. I thought the Frank Vogel hire was going to be a home run. I thought the Steve Clifford hire was going to be a home run. I liked Jacques Vaughn at the time, even though I didn't know a lot about him. So you can only really make educated guesses when these things happen. But what I'll say is that I think that player development, you saw some of the, I think Tim McMahon reported this the other day, player development is going to be first and foremost. It's not going to be about winning this year. It's going to be with the amount of young talent we have. The only path forward is one of these guys. It's almost like a, a lottery ticket, even though, um, you know, I, that's a weird way to look at it, but one of these guys has to become a superstar. And we've got a lot of, we've got four or five guys where, Hey, maybe there's, there's a path there. And then we're going to have two lottery picks uh, on top of it. And the priority should be the coach is in charge of taking those guys who we think have the best chance of developing into a superstar and, and doing everything we can to support them. That's it. That's the only thing that matters because otherwise the ceiling is always going to be the five seed. Otherwise, it's, you know, we've had so many guys, whether that's Tobias Harris, whether that's Victor Oladipo, that we either gave up 
too soon on. We didn't want to make them a franchise player. We didn't want to sign them to an extension, whatever it is. Even though, I mean, Tobias was on a, a really manageable contract. Scott Skyler just hated him. Um, and so uh, player management and player development has been the worst part of this franchise. And Jamal Mosley has to figure out how to change that culture and, and build something, start building something real and, and not just max out at winning game one of a playoff series, which has been the, the ceiling for a long time. Well, like you said, a lot of the things that Mosley has said so far, and he actually uh, appeared on the uh, Orlando Magic Pod Squad, the podcast mm. that the Magic put together with, you know, Dante Marcatelli and George Galanti, uh, Jeff Turner, David Seal wasn't there, but um, you listen to that and you, you listen to, Jamal Mosley go into more long form and be able to kind of expand on some of those thoughts that he shared during the press conference and really, really encouraging talking about how you can still ha- kind of have the old school mentality and get these guys to do the old school things, but you have to kind of meet them where they are. So they understand why they're doing those things. Again, what yeah. you alluded to building that relationship first before you start getting into the basketball. So I was really encouraged by that, but you're right. You know, the, the magic's best, chance moving forward is yes it's going to be Jamal Mosley developing all of these guys to a certain extent but you're hoping that one guy or a few guys are really going to rise above everyone else and become those all-star level type caliber talent so speaking of which and and speaking of a lottery ticket the Magic uh, (laughs) didn't have the most lottery luck that we had hoped for a few weeks ago so we wanted to ask you the Magic have the fifth and the eighth pick in the draft are there any prospects around those picks that that you really are hoping in particular that the magic will draft well we'll see how it develops i mean i was looking at uh i was looking at, at wingspan the other day which obviously is the magic yeah. front office thing and i think i, saw, I heard waltman say that the other day too. yeah i saw scotty barnes <laughs> scotty barnes has, has a nice wingspan so you can pencil him in for for one of those picks <laughs> uh it's a great question you know it's funny i went and and visited a friend of mine who's from orlando uh in in greenwich village a couple weeks ago to watch the lottery and when it when the fifth pick came down um i very loudly said the f word and then he said the f word and then i checked my phone and i had like three people text me just the f word and then we were watching on his ipad um because we were outside and i could see the text messages from his friends in orlando that were saying the same thing it was like a movie scene it was just like everybody was just like you got to be kidding me here i can't believe this is happening um but you know listen kate cunningham and jalen green appear to be the the available superstars evan mobley is is right there but i love jalen suggs and if you had told me when i was watching the March Madness that Jalen Suggs would be on the Magic, I'd be extremely happy. Uh, and he is right now mocked around four, but but you never know that that could that could go down. Um, Scotty Barnes, everyone just keeps talking about it. Um, Jonathan Kaminga is the same same sort of deal. Everyone keeps mo- mocking them uh, him to, to to Orlando, and so I, I'm going to be happy with a couple of guys in there. I mean, it's not going to be Kate Cunningham, uh, which I think that I had talked myself into because I really didn't think we were going to win the lottery. Um, we've had such bad lottery luck that I just assumed the lottery gods would help us out this time, but I guess just not. I guess we're going to pay the tax on winning Shaq and Penny and Dwight for the rest of our lives. Um, That's what but it feels I, like. I just think that there's, you know, listen, you look at the finals right now, look at Devin Booker and look at Giannis. Those guys were not top four picks. 
um, Chris Paul was not the first pick in the draft. If I'm not mistaken, there was a UNC bench player who went ahead of him in, in the draft, even though he obviously went top five. Um, so I think that there's there's ways to to find a superstar here at with two top ten picks, and I'm not giving up. It's not going to be easy, but I'm not giving up. I have a quick question for you before uh, Luke gets to his question. When I sit and think about, you know, the, the level of success that the Magic have had throughout the years, and, and Kevin, you kind of just alluded to it, does it make you sad at all or concerned at all that really the only time the Magic have had real tangible success is by just getting incredibly lucky, yeah. ending up with generational talents, not by like incredible team building, although I think Otis Smith does deserve a lot of credit for the Richard Lewis signing and yeah. drafting Jameer. And, Agree. Well, that wasn't Otis, but you, you get what yeah. I'm saying. Um, does that make you sad? Cause that makes me really, really sad to think about. Well, th- my biggest question is what happened to us as a free agent destination? Because, okay. So the nineties roll around and I know it was Shaq and Penny, but Horace Grant wanted to come here. Horace Grant wanted to live here. Horace Grant loves the city of Orlando. Uh, five years later, Tracy McGrady wanted to play here. Tim Duncan wanted to play here to the point he almost left. Grant Hill wanted to come here, live in, uh, you know, a, a nice suburb. All those guys want to hang out, you know, in beautiful weather in a place where there's no state income tax, play a bunch of golf. Like there's a reason a lot of athletes live in Orlando, right? And what I don't understand is what happened from, like, I remember the story that when Grant Hill was touring Orlando and houses, they had Tiger Woods just, just happened to walk by or whatever, right? Like it was that there used to be a more of a community effort. And, and I don't, I just don't understand why we're considered the dregs of, of NBA destinations. Um, I would love, I think a lot of people would love to live in Orlando. Uh, I view it the same way people view, you know, I think Phoenix is, is on that. Um, you know, I just think that there's become this weird thing where no one thinks about Orlando as a place that guys want to play. And I, I just think that, that that's that's false. Um, and I think it's a great city to be in. And so if they start building something, I think we could go into recruitment mode and and help here. I just feel like the Magic haven't, uh, haven't had anything to write home about. We can be a premium NBA city if we give them something. And so I don't necessarily think that uh, getting the first overall pick is the only path forward towards, towards um, relevance. Uh, it does worry me, as you said, that we've only, the only times you've been legitimately good have come after winning the lottery. But I also think that there's a lot of ways to, to build a good NBA team. And I, I, I think the magic can do it. It just starts with player development and, and taking the hard route basically. Yeah. And kind of to, to backtrack and then actually we'll just go back into draft talk here, Kevin. Um, when you were on the Orlando Magic UK podcast mm-hmm. a few months back, um, a lot has changed since then. So I, I, will, I, will, yeah. I, will, I will definitely say that. But, um, you know, in during that uh, episode, you had talked about, you know, I just I'm cool with whatever happens in the draft. I just really don't know if I would want a point guard because we seem to be set at point guard. Yeah. Um, then my question kind of off that is you said that, you know, you kind of did your March Madness fell in love with Jalen Suggs, which I think mm-hmm. was the case for a lot of people. Jalen Suggs, though, six, four primarily, you know, has played point guard. Uh, yeah. He can obviously, you know, slide over to the two if need be, but primarily his whole life, he's been a point guard. Does that turn you away from Suggs at all? If he were to fall and Kuminga's there or anything like that? Yeah. I, I would say not because beggars can't be choosers, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. if, if we could add a franchise player or a guy 
who can who can be, have the potential to be a franchise player. I'd rather figure that out later rather than take a guy who's not as good. Um, so yes, I have those worries. I also think, man, just watching him at Gonzaga, and I think that guy's a winner. Like I really do think that he's he's kind of a badass. He's got the kind of culture that he seems like the kind of culture builder that 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 I would like. And I think that you know part of the problem with with the Hennigan era is everybody was just a little too nice and there weren't any real jerks. And I've been around sports a long time and I've, I've been in a lot of locker rooms and the best type of, of teams always have a good amount of, I guess you could say jerks in the, in the right direction. I'm not saying Suggs is one. I'm just saying he had an edge to him. I saw an edge to him when I, when I watched March Madness where he's a winner and he's going to put the team on his back. And I just think you can collect those guys and put them in a locker room and everything can figure it out, figure it out later. I mean, if the worst thing that happens is we get some value for Markel Fultz down the road, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. So you talked about edge. Uh, have you seen out of curiosity that video of Jamal Mosley uh, talking to LeBron that surfaced? Uh, he's no, on the bench. I haven't. LeBron was when he was when LeBron was in Miami. Uh, Mosley was on the bench as a as one of the coaches, and uh, LeBron was talking, and Mosley just promptly told him, "Hey, shut the f up," and that was the that, that was the extent of it. So we've got Edge in Orlando, um, and as you said, you know, bringing Suggs on board um, would would definitely help the Edge even more. So I think there's a lot of guys with a lot of personality there. Definitely, and, and I think that you know you can get the edge can go in the wrong direction. Scott Skiles hating everybody on the roster was going in the wrong direction and saying, let's get Tobias Harris out of here as soon as possible. That was the arrow pointing in the wrong direction, but I think that can be channeled towards something good. And that's why it's so important to make the right hire with the head coach to have that all that, all that energy channeling the right way. So we've talked a little bit about the draft and, you know, who we might mm -hmm. take at five and at eight. How much thought and how much hope have you put into the Magic potentially trading up and acquiring one of those guys that about a month ago we all really yeah. had our eye on, like Cade, like Jalen Green? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that I, I'd asked around about this, especially – and when I say asked around, I just mean that I asked people at the ringer who are a lot smarter than me. Um, <laughs> I wasn't – you know, I'm not texting Jeff Weltman or anything. Um, but I, I, I think that there's – I think that there's a little more hope Maybe if we wanted to get three, possibly if we wanted to get into the Jalen Green, Evan Mobley zone. But I also feel like there's a, the chance that the draft falls to us in a pretty good way. Um, you know, and NBA teams talk themselves into bad players all the time. We've, we've seen it. There's a reason Luka Doncic slipped in the draft. Uh, not He didn't slip. Him and Trey Young did not slip to us, unfortunately, but they did slip just a little bit. Very close. Very, um, close. very, very close. Uh, the magic way being one player, one spot away from getting a generational talent. Um, but I, you know, unless, if we have to give five and eight and maybe even more to move up for two spots, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm viewing this as literal lottery tickets. There's a reason they call this a lottery, right? right? And I think that being able to have two swings at getting a guy, unless you can get to one, which I, it sounds like the Pistons are, are set, um, I, I, I would stand pat and go 5'8". Yeah, and so, you know, talking about those, those guys that were once, you know, drafted the Magic, 
traded to the Magic. Um, the Magic have built a nice young core in yeah. Orlando that I honestly, maybe it's, uh, I mean, it probably is because I'm biased, but I feel like nobody's talking about it, uh, which seems to be the case with Orlando all the time. But Well, okay, well, let me stop you right there. They, they were all, Really, the young core, as it's been currently constructed, was only post-Vooch trade. So it's only right. a couple months. We were terrible for long stretches of that. Like, I don't know when we were supposed to talk about it. Unless you're talking about me on the low post in like March. <laughs> I'm the only person who had the opportunity to talk about the, the Magic's young core. And I, I tried, but it was just, I, I feel like we can, the, the jury's still out on it, but I also feel like it's a little hard to say no one's talking about it when it, it's barely existed for all that long. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. I I guess mainly I'm referring to J.I., Markel, Chuma, Cole. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Those guys. But, um, you know, obviously the newcomers that you're referring to really that kind of have completed the young core yeah. is R.J. and Wendell Carter Jr., essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess my my question then is what are you like, who is your favorite of the young yeah. core to maybe make those steps that we talked about becoming all star caliber players one day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's too it's two different conversations. Cole Anthony, to me, I loved watching him play last year. I don't think he's going to become a superstar. I don't think he has a chance to become a superstar. But I do think when the Magic start winning, Cole Anthony is going to be a part of that. He's just going to be an auxiliary piece to it, if that makes sense. Um, it's, I, you know, Chuma, I think, is you're, you're looking at a guy who I think has a lot of upside, but again, not that superstar potential. I think of the guys who are here right now, it has to be Isaac turning into a legitimate defensive player of the year. Not every time we talk about Isaac, we say, oh, he could be a future defensive player of the year. I'm tired of, of saying that. He needs to develop into a guy in the next two years who's on defensive player of the year ballots. That, that, is, that is the requirement for the Magic to take the next step. Uh, Fultz, same way. Like we cannot, we cannot just keep talking about um, his potential. He's got to actually start putting the team on his back. I, I love him. I love his development. I love his story. And I do think that's going to happen. I think both of those things are going to happen. Um, RJ Hampton plays his ass off. I love him. I love his energy. Uh, Carter, you know, I, I didn't really see enough of him to, to make a projection either way. Right. I think for, for super duper star status as like best, best player on a team that makes the Easter Conference Finals, I think it's really just just Isaac at this point who has the chance to develop into, I don't know if you guys see any other candidates. I think, I think we're all in agreement that it's J.I., you know, it's number yeah. one outside of that, you know, it's, it comes down to Markel and a lot of people question whether or not he's going to ever become a reliable jump shooter. But two and a half years ago, people were wondering if the kid was ever going to be able to play basketball. Yep. So he's yep. come so far. I'm not ready to write the jump shot off just yet. Is he ever going to be a 40% three point shooter? Probably not. If he can get anywhere near 35%, I really think we have a piece in him. You know, the playmaking, the size, everything like that. He gets to the rim at will. So really excited about that. Luke, I, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think with Markel, where I'm at with him and where I've been for a little while now is that I think he will be a very good player for a very long time. Um, I don't know that he ever reaches a superstar level. Um, I hope he becomes an all-star at some point, but who knows? I think all the, the, the chips have been pushed to the table and they're all on Isaac, in my opinion. Yeah, Isaac and then the fifth pick in this draft. Those are the two guys that have to be first-team All-NBA candidates within three years if the Magic are actually going to become a, a, a team worth watching. Yeah, if not, we're doing all this over again in three to four years. So. And, and, and at this point, I'm okay just 
scrapping it every few years. Like I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done being excited over the, the, the first game of a, of a series. We know we're going to lose in five games. I'm just done with it. And yeah. I, I, I thought for a long time, I don't think the process in any way was, was necessarily vindicated, but we, you at least see when the process is, you know, six, seven years in why you do it. And Hennigan tried that a little bit, but he's made some massive whiffs. They, they got some bad lottery luck. Hennigan also strangely believed, and Josh Robbins reported this, that, that shooting would get better right. at, at when guys got to the pros, which we saw just was not the case over for, for a lot of guys. Um, and so uh, he just bet on the wrong horse over and over and over again, whether that was different, different traits, different uh, team building uh, paths, whatever it was, it, we just failed. And so I don't, I, I, I don't know what you do except to say, I'm, I'm tired of the idea of being on a path where, where the ceiling is, is a five seed. Well, here's to Jeff Weltman and Jamal Mosley leading us forward and out of <laughs> mediocrity in the next few years. But yes. So Kevin, obviously, you know, you host the, the, NF, the ringers NFL show you, you write, you know, about you cover the NFL for the ringer. Yeah. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask a few NFL questions. Luke, Absolutely. You go first? Uh, yeah. So Kevin, I was doing my research and was looking through articles of Kevin. Okay. 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 So in 2016, you wrote an article. Um, this is what caught my eye because, like I said, I'm not a huge NFL guy. Sure, but this sure, is sure. interesting to me. Uh, you wrote an article about the NFL has an age problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, essentially the subheadline was, you know, the players are younger than ever, the football is yeah. worse than ever, and the causes aren't going away. So at the time, uh, you know, you introduced me really to a, a stat that is really interesting uh, by Football Outsiders who tracks snap-weighted age. And in 2015, it was the lowest that it had ever been at 26.6 mm-hmm. years old. Um, now, I checked this season, it's 26.4. So yep. it is lower than it was, yep. you know, back then when you wrote the article. Do you think that there is still, and, you know, the age problem is an issue? Do you think that the NFL is in a worse place because we are among, you know, the times where, you know, players are the youngest on, on the field? Yes and no. I think that that particular problem really, really sucks for 27-year-old offensive linemen. So the way the NFL works is that you have a four-year rookie deal. If you're a first-round pick, you have a a fifth-year option, and then you have to sign a second contract. And what ended up happening was in 2011, when the new collective bargaining agreement came in, the rookies went from being very expensive to being very cheap. And so teams will now just go ahead and roll the dice on a rookie rather than signing anybody who's not a star to a second contract. Mm. And so because of that, they'd rather go with, with a raw 23-year-old and save $6 million rather than re-signing their guys. So guys are leaving the league earlier than they could. Um, there are guys who probably deserve second contracts who don't get them or they get you know, essentially training camp invites and maybe a few hundred thousand bucks mm. in guaranteed money and, and then they have to perform once they're there. Um, so I think from, from, for the rank and file NFL player, it's still a problem. What I would say is that the difference between 2016 and now is who's coming to the league since then Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, guys, super duper quarterbacks who came in really young, played really young, performed really, really young. And that has glossed over, I think a lot of the problems that the NFL was having with, with play, like the offensive line does even though Super Bowl notwithstanding, um, it, you know the offensive line does not need to be as cohesive as it was 
10 years ago. Um, you know, I think in that story, Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy, the, the now Cowboys coach, who was the Packers coach back then, he used to say, you know, it used to be that you'd go against these offensive lines and everybody would be 34 years old and they'd be mean and they'd have all these tricks up their sleeves and it was a nightmare to play against. And now everybody's 24 years old and, they, and they're a little more green and they're just, it's just a different game uh, in the trenches and, and in other parts. And I think some, some veteran presence has been lost a little bit. Uh, but I also think when you look at those quarterbacks, some of these guys are just ready to play. So I do think it's a problem from a, from a labor perspective. Yeah, it sucks to be a certain type of NFL player who's going out of the league earlier than they used to. Um, but I also believe that the NFL with the quarterbacks and stuff like that is, is significantly more watchable than it was five years ago. So that's really interesting, Kevin. But unlike Luke, I actually uh, do have an NFL team that I root for, <laughs> and I, I'm hoping to, to get some – some reassurance here. So I'm a big New York Giants fan. Um, oh, wow. Hey, I, we have uh, Joe Judge is coming on Flying Coach. That's incredible. The, I'll definitely be listening to that. Sean I McVay love Joe Judge. Podcast. Yeah, yeah so, he's coming on this week. So this will be a two-part question then. First, what do you think of Joe Judge and the job that he's done so far? But I feel like this season all comes down to Daniel Jones and whether or not yeah. he's going to take that leap. Can you give me any hope there? Because I'm a, I'm a Daniel Jones believer. I feel like he's got a lot yeah. of talent, but he's got to hold on to the football. He's got to start to put things together this year. Uh, what do you think about Joe Judge and Daniel Jones and the Giants? I just don't think Daniel Jones has all that much path to be a, a, a star. I don't, I don't think I, – I don't want to be negative here, um, although I have been negative on, on Daniel Jones in my own podcast. But I just think that, that he, I, I don't see the talent or the traits or the production that suggests he can have – you know, Josh Allen's become the patron saint for every sort of – inconsistent quarterback in their first two years. Right. right? And I'll oh, look at Josh Allen, look at Josh Allen, look the third at Josh year. Allen. That's what we're looking for. And yeah. And, and, you know, there was a study done a couple of years ago um, by pro football focus that actually put egg on my face because they said quarterbacks don't really get better from year two to year three. They get better from year one to year two. And then Josh Allen rewrote all the rules of what it meant to be, get better from, from year two to year three. And now we have to sort of guard against that and, and say, Oh, the jury's still out. But I, I do think Daniel Jones is more of the norm where he was fumbling all the time. He couldn't hold on to the ball. He wasn't, he, he just, he's turnover prone. And I, uh, aside from that, I just didn't see a high ceiling. So you combine all of those things. I, listen, he had that great run in the open field. He said a few of those runs. He's, he's, he's an okay athlete. But I just don't think that the Giants supporting cast is going to be good enough to, to lift him up and make him any better than he should be. I don't think Jason Garrett's the kind of coach who would make him any better than he should be. Um, and I don't think he's the type of quarterback that's going to rise above his circumstances. So I don't know what there is to be excited about with regards to the quarterback position. Um, Joe Judge can be a good coach. I think there's people in New York who are really excited about him. And, and there was some buy-in there uh, from, from Giants players last year, maybe more than, than – people initially thought uh but i i don't know if daniel jones is a long-term quarterback option so it's going to be a rough fall for me i guess <laughs> it is is what kevin is saying because the magic probably aren't going to be very good kevin doesn't think the giants are going to be very good so um yeah i don't have a lot to look forward to for the rest of the year do you have any, do you have any other teams jonathan the yankees are terrible um, oh wow no this hubert is getting davis, worse and worse hubert oh, davis taking over it at north carolina oh um, no as the head coach. maybe maybe he'll do oh, a great no. job there uh, yeah, apart from that, I mean, the Lightning just won the Stanley Cup, so that's great. There you um, go. Yeah, but apart from that, nothing would mean more to me than a, a magic uh, lift in the Larry O'Brien trophy, but we know that's not going to probably happen anytime soon. So, well, Kevin, uh, I really <laughs> wanted some hope there, and, wow. and you just 
couldn't give me even an ounce. Can't but believe it! Wow, yeah. this ended in a very dark place. I did it not did. See this it happening. did. But but really, honestly, we really just appreciate your time joining the show. We've yeah. been looking forward to this for a really long time. I think fans are really going to get a kick out of it. So, uh, thank you. Just continue to to represent the Magic really in the national media. You and Saruti doing your best to do that. And hopefully in the, the next few years, we're going to have some more uh, to root for uh, with our Orlando Magic. Love it. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Absolutely, guys. So for Kevin Clark and Luke, this has been Jonathan. You guys are listening to The Six Man Show, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic!